I do my hair toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Feeling good as hell. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 178, part one of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and why the hell am I starting this episode off by singing Lizzo? Well, that's because today's guest has done some work for Lizzo. But before I introduce that, it's review time. I want to read one of these stellar reviews that are left on uh, Apple Podcasts and iTunes. This one starts with 10 out of 10 would recommend. Starting off good already. It's not often I toot my own horn, but I have to every once in a while. Uh, This review is left by Katie Haremsky. Katie Haremsky. I love this podcast. I love how authentic these conversations are. I'm in the early phases of my creative career, so I'm always looking for ways to grow. After coming across Dave's podcast, I feel like I've been able to soak up so much knowledge and wisdom through these interviewees' stories. Seriously, I love it. If you are in the creative world, this is a must-listen. Katie Haremsky, thank you so much for leaving that review. I really appreciate it. Feels good. Makes me smile, you know? And, you know, I don't want to say, it's not my podcast. It's our podcast. I do this for designers and creatives out there. There's a little bit of selfishness in it too because I love having these conversations with creatives. But anyways, thank you, Katie. So, Today's guest is Tracy Ching. She is a freelance illustrator out of Washington, D.C. And as mentioned off the top, Tracy has done work with Lizzo. She's done Captain Marvel. She's done John Wick. She's done work with Michelle Obama. She's done work for Star Wars, a few films. Like, this girl is doing amazing work for some incredible people, incredible companies, incredible pieces of entertainment out in the world. During part one of this episode, we talk about how she comes from a family of makers. And uh, she started on with a lifestyle design real quick after school. She had her eyes set on freelance and that was the plan. And she doubled down and went for that. We also talk about the artist and the printmaker that really influenced her. We also talk about the artist that she looks up to now and why. We talk about the Kickstarter project that became, uh, I would say, a big step for her in her freelance career and so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get right into this one. An amazing interview with the super kind and super talented Tracy Ching. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? All right, Tracy, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be here. Awesome. I'm glad we can make the time. You know, both of us, three kids, just got to somehow make it fit, make it work. I know. Right around the holidays, too, is always a thing. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Christmas. No, of course I have time. No problem. (laughs) I mean, as if, like, when you work for yourself or you do freelance, like, 
you don't get holidays. You're just like, yeah, I'm still answering emails on Christmas Day. So whatever. <laughs> yeah, sure. Just blend it all in. It's all good. So the first question I ask here on the podcast is, are you ready for a quickie? Oh, that's a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it always is. Why not? Sure. Perfect. <laughs> and then I get into the really, really tough stuff by asking you to briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Yeah, that's always a really interesting one. I feel like other people are way more qualified to answer it than I am. Well, um, nobody's qualified for it. So I know, right? <laughs> Who are we, really? Um, so bullet points, I'm a freelance illustrator. I um, am set up in Washington, D.C. been here about 10 years. Um, I am known for a cross-hatching style, specifically when it comes to portraiture, um, pop culture, alternative movie posters, mainly what I'm known for, but I do a lot of other work like commercial illustration, editorial, but really what puts the butts in the seats is the, the movie posters and pop culture illustrations. And mm -hmm. I think that's how a vast majority of people know about me if they know about me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they know about you, whether you, like, whether you know it or not. <laughs> so Tracy, how long have you been freelancing um, just under your name doing your own thing? Yeah, so it's uh, roughly, we're coming in, we're like eight years now, eight okay. to nine years. So I graduated from my undergrad 10 years ago, and then it took like two, three years to really get what I could reliably call like freelance work underway. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like freelancing yeah. like after school, but not not in a way that I think you can like count as so, like a professional countdown. So did you come out of school then sort of trying to find the direction or did you know when you came out that this is the direction I'm going, let's build a base and let's go freelance? Like, did you have that plan locked down? Kind of, yeah. So I, I went to school for fine art. I was a mixed media sculpture major okay. with a fine art print minor, but I'd never touched silkscreen print mm -hmm. before. And so I graduated in 2009, so right on the heels of the Great Recession and totally unemployed. Nice. And so I'm trying to think about like how to leverage my artistic abilities to something that I could do. And I, a lot of it has to do like weirdly enough with family planning. So like you having nice. kids, you know that daycare and childcare is horrendously expensive. Horribly expensive. And I'm also kind of like a a suspicious and or paranoid person. And generally I didn't want other people taking my kids. So like, I was like, what can I do as an artist and like raise a family on my own time? And I'm like, freelance, right? Totally. <laughs> so I decided that I was going to try my hand at, at freelance design, having had no graphic design experience. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I got myself underway that way. So I, I I knew what I wanted to do was going to take a shot at it, but I didn't know what I was doing. Got it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you have like the macro idea. Here's where I'd like to be. Yes. Now the in between, I guess I'll just figure it out. I'm an excellent planner. So I had like all my mini bosses set up. I had my five-year plan. I wanted to be full-time freelance by year five. Yeah. And I had like each step in between that I like, I have a one-year plan underneath my five-year plan. So five one-year plans. And then mm -hmm. each like one-year plan had like three or four plans within that one, the like goals I had to reach. And so like we actually ended up under the clock. I was freelance after year like four. Yeah. I think at four. So I did it. <laughs> Good for you. And you would attribute that to your extreme planning and organization. Yeah. And the hustle. Yeah. I work hard. <laughs> 
Good. Well, that's what you have to do. Yes. Yeah. You have to, you really have to put it all out there and run hard. All right. So I want to rewind a bit further and I want to sort of put together the roots of how this all came together. Um, Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you about your childhood now and what that was like. Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that pointed you in this career path? And so that's the funny thing is before I had like permanent memory, I had sketchbooks. Like my first memories, I had already had sketchbooks as like a kid. Mm -hmm. And so none of my family ever doubted I was going to get into art because there really didn't ever seem to be like another direction. And so no one tried to like push me out of it. They just tried to be like, well, what about architecture? (laughs) You know, like (laughs) you could be artistic and maybe earn money. But no one was surprised when I went into like art school or college. And then no one's like surprised now that it's what I do for a living. I think they're just surprised what kind of art I do for a living, Mm -hmm. that that's a thing. But yeah, um, there was never anything else. So like you, when it came you, down to it. <laughs> for sure. Did you have like an aunt or an uncle or a, a parent that was a graphic designer or an illustrator that could show you what those ropes were like? Or did you come to that on your own and they just said, all right. Yeah. It's that last one. Like all the, all the women in my family are incredibly like crafty. Mm-hmm. Like they're all like the home and garden type women who make like ridiculous wreaths and like, like photographable pies and stuff like that and then yeah. like the the men in the family are like handy so yeah. they always like built stuff and so like I come from like a family of makers it's just they never did anything like artistic as their vocation mm-hmm. and so I was the first one to make that leap in addition to the fact that like digital wasn't an option and I am a digital illustrator mm-hmm. and so like they're like, oh, that's that's a thing. You work on this flat screen thingy and draw stuff. That's cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's it's all brand new, but yeah, no one really could guide the way. But I was already kind of like a a driven and or like headstrong kind of person. I always mm. was very. I always knew what I wanted, and then I figured out how to get there over time, like how to achieve what I wanted. So now I'm very spoiled because <laughs> I tend to get what I want. My like, my wants are realistic, yeah, but like exactly. I tend to get there, which has made me very spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So you, no surprises when you go to art school, but you were saying that, you know, there's still a bit of a misunderstanding on what you do. You draw on this flat screen and it, you make money. Terrific. So <laughs> the movie posters and pop culture that has sort of, that's, I guess for lack of a better term, your specialty like mm-hmm. That's what you do. How did that come about? Or was that the original pursuit? And so it kind of wasn't. Um, I learned as a planner over mm-hmm. time, you have to have like A, B, and C, yeah. right? So, and especially as a freelancer, you can't have all your eggs in one basket. I mean, mm-hmm. you can, but it's this high risk. And I am a low risk planner. And so, low risk hustler. That's- <laughs> yes. And so I, I played Ultimate Frisbee in college and played afterwards. And so I would do Ultimate Frisbee design. I managed to work my way. I, I don't want to say trick, but kind of um, a, a way into becoming a in-house graphic designer for a local trade association, really small place. Okay. And then I um, had followed, you know, the Alamo Draft House that would eventually become Mondo in college, and it's something I really liked. I I've always been really attracted to ephemera, mm-hmm. so like 
disposable paper, pretty designs, things that weren't supposed to last, but are gorgeous. I've always loved them. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I was really attracted to. And when I was teaching myself how to use Creative Suite, because I was a fine art major, I was never allowed to dabble in design. So I had to learn these programs on my own. Mm -hmm. And so the way I did that was I made portraits, because I love to draw portraits when I was in fine art school, of pop culture people, like with the mind of like, okay, well, like, how does that work? So trying to like work it backwards from what I saw Alamo turning out. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, how does that work? And how can I make that play out? And so it was an interest that, I mean, all of them took root, all of my like plan A's and plan B's and plan C's, but it's really the, the pop culture stuff that obviously catches a lot of eyes and has a lot of interest, especially right now. So it was, it was definitely a skyrocketer. (laughs) Very cool. I love that explanation. So we've, kind of got the roadmap here on how you got to the spot where you're in right now. Mm-hmm. And now I want to get into some of the the influences along the way. So what stands out to you as the most influential design or illustration or something of your life so far? Something that you saw and has just stuck with you? Yeah, so it's it's really hard to to nail down just the one cuz I think mm-hmm. we are, you know, an assemblage, right, of of all of our influences but I think if I had to pick like an artist Albrecht Durer who is the printmaker and painter I like as soon as I saw his stuff I like latched on and that's where I really started to become interested in things like lithography Mm-hmm. So producing these master works, you know, like Leonardo da Vinci has gorgeous, gorgeous sketches, but not the means to reproduce them, right? And so I became very interested in like the printing press and how, you know, they mass produced artwork. And I really liked the way it was done with crosshatching. And so I began collecting a ton of like Edwardian and Victorian ephemera. So like even from like the Civil War here, I would have like certificates and stamps and all these like crosshatchy things. And I didn't piece it together until I was already in this career. I was like, oh yeah, like that makes sense in hindsight. But like, yeah, my wall in high school was covered with like random mishmashes of like really bold, like punk rock concert, like posters. And then like these weird old pieces of like ephemera that I found at like flea markets. Yep. And so like the style was always there. And that had a massive influence on on me. It must have been subconsciously because I didn't like connect that thread until much, much later. Mm-hmm. And so if cool. I had to pick narrow it, it would be Durr. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there were others, but that was like the first. Yeah, that was the first. And that was, you know, and it, like you said it right, is that it influenced you in a way that you just didn't even realize until later on in your career. Yeah. And then you connect the dots and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That and makes those more sense. are the ones. Those are what the questions are meant to pull out and to really <laughs> dig up and find. Yeah. Um, so that was an earlier influence and maybe somebody that you still, you know, obviously appreciate their work. Yeah. Who are some of the designers, illustrators and brands that you look up to now and closely follow now? And what about them do you like? Yeah. So I, I think... One of the artists I appreciate the most is Shepard Fairey Mm -hmm. for a bunch of different reasons. One was I having had that fine art training and going to school in New York City, I got a really like in-depth view of what high fine art and that community was like. And about year three, I discovered 
I wanted nothing to do with it mm-hmm. at all. And so I still loved the artwork. I couldn't handle the high fine art community. And so right around that time, that's when, you know, lowbrow art was a thing, making these gritty street artists coming up and doing something different and changing that narrative. And, you know, since like Obey, you know, Shepard Fairey's brand had been around for, for forever in New York. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's doing, and I was following this, all the silkscreen drops he used to do, which would be really easy to get when I was in college. You could like <laughs> pick and choose which one. And now they're sold out no matter how big the edition. Mm-hmm. And so I loved that, that he was doing print. It was political. It was graphic. It was high art, but it was also lowbrow and it was accessible. Cause again, that ephemera, right? The design and being available to the masses. I really loved that. And then, yeah, just watching that rise, you know, that, that like, traction that suddenly took off in the early aughts you know i was following that and i was like wow that's that's doable you don't have to be a fine art artist right to do what i originally set out to do when i went to art school you know what you nailed that right because it's it now is that sort of high-end artwork in that fine art community but yes. it, it has low brow roots. Like that's what it's yes. meant. It's meant for that gritty political, like thought provoking <laughs> art for the people. Yeah. So yeah. it's such an interesting thing to observe how it's sort of now over into that fine art world. And, you know, there's yes. only been a few artists that have really made that or sort of ride that line. Yes. I guess you could say, right? Yeah, Tara McPherson is another one. And as a female artist trying to come up, I, I also watched her do something similar mm-hmm. to Shepard Fairey, where it was it was her own images, her own brand, it was her own hustle. And she, I think she walks a line closer to fine art in my brain mm-hmm. uh, than, than Shepard did. But it, it's very similar in what kind of like trench they dug for themselves. And so... And as, again, a female artist coming into a male-dominated industry, I was really interested in seeing, like, okay, well, what other women are doing something like this, not just Shepard Fairey? And mm-hmm. so that was really neat to be able to follow that. But it's definitely Obey's brand and Shepard Fairey's work, both political and editorial and mm-hmm. mural and print, that I was like, this is a thing. Like, let's do this. <laughs> Brilliant. I love those. Great names, great uh, artists. And you mentioned their print as well which mm. is a nice segue into the next question, which is um, tell us about how you have utilized print in your design career. You talked a little bit about lithography and having, you know, a passion and excitement for that. We, yeah. You mentioned uh, silkscreen as well. Um, what have you done for in print in your career? Any stories you can share with us around that? Yeah. So it's again, really funny because I only connected the dots much, much later, you know, having mm-hmm. loved, early lithography. I never did lithography during my several years of printmaking arts somehow. Like I had done intaglio, I had done, you know, block and, and etching and, and plates and even, um, mesitant, which is like something nobody does anymore. <laughs> but once I finally graduated from school, you know, I started, looking at this as an option like I'd never touched silkscreen but that was what people now in the real world mm-hmm. <laughs> were using you know Shepard was doing it on the drought house there was there was a whole community that I hadn't had access to outside of like you know the posters I got the stone pony or silk screens right mm-hmm. so like I had no real process and so one of the if not the major first boosts I got 
as a freelancer was when I put my first silkscreen up on Kickstarter. Okay. So I had been working on posters, posters, like portraits for about a year and decided, well, okay, let's see what this process is like. Let's dive in and, and get it started. But they're kind of expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you pretty much end up paying no less than like $500 at minimum for a basic run. And it's, it's a lot of risk, right? For someone who's just getting started mm-hmm. and only recently unemployed and stuff like that. And so this is when Kickstarter was brand new. And so the husband was like, well, just put it up on this thing I heard about. He's like, if it fails, you don't lose anything. But if Mm -hmm. it works, like, you know, it works. And so I did. I I put um, my Admiral Akbar print up as well as a Leia as like a as a like booster print. Mm -hmm. And so like literally like 24 to 36 hours after the project went live. Okay. So how much were you asking for? Just sort of set the stage a little bit. 500 bucks. Okay. Just to run the print yeah. itself. And I like did not price them accordingly for like shipping because I had no idea how to do fulfillment either. Yeah, for sure. And so I was just like, yeah, sure. I want 500 bucks and then you can pay me this. Like, I think it was like 30 for a print or something like that. And within like 36 hours, like we'd already met our budget. Like it was done. We yeah. met our goal. And I had like a month left. And so <laughs> by the end of the 30 days, we raised $5,000. Wow originally $500 goal. And so that was like, it not only bankrolled like the rest of the year's worth of silkscreen prints I wanted to try, but it also managed to accumulate a a brand new fan base for me to work with as a new artist. And so I had the chance to work freely in producing these prints and see what the process is like from front to back, you know, prepping the files, talking to the printers, picking out colors, getting them, signing them, shipping, all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And so that was my first real experience. And it was like, again, this other like rocket ship forward in what would eventually become my freelance career. Okay. So I wanted to stop, pause here for a second, because that is an incredible moment. And I'm sort of putting yeah. myself in your seat where you got a little bit of nerves and you really want to produce this stuff. And you put it up there on Kickstarter for the world to see, mm-hmm. for the internet to comment on, which as we mm-hmm. know, is a scary prospect. Yeah. And then within 36 hours, boom, you're at your goal and it yep. carries on to $5,000. So yep. the moment you reached your goal, mm-hmm. what's the feeling? I like didn't, I didn't get it because then Kickstarter was brand new. Mm-hmm. Like no one really knew what the potential was. They hadn't done their like million dollar Kickstarter fundraising yet, right? Mm-hmm. It was still new. And because it was new, I got picked as a staff pick for design and illustration, yes. which is why it was that much easier because I was on the front page. Yeah. And so like that had a major thing to do with it, but also like <laughs> the whole Kickstarter thing was like, it was called It's a Trap. And so the entire like campaign was based on like that language of yeah. it being a trap and like, and like accepting like the mission, all, like all this stuff, right? It was like really hammy. And so, um, yeah, it was this ridiculous thing. So I didn't get it. I was just like, what What just happened? Because like, I went to sleep. And then yeah. I woke up and I had all these emails. And I'm like, okay. Is, and then I'm like, is your first thought like, what did I do wrong? No, like it, it I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. But then I had to go to work because I was working a full time gig. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. kind of checking into my phone during the, like the day. And then I'm like sending my husband like updates. I was like, okay, we're like getting really close. Okay. We're like right there. I was like, Oh, we raised it. I was like, this it's done. 
like it's over. <laughs> and I was like, it's not even, I have, what do I do with 28 days left? And so I had to do all these stretch goals because we went so way over. Yeah. So plan. So I ended up printing, I kid you not like five prints. There were like three mini bonus prints and then there was Leia and the Admiral. And so like, it was crazy. And like, I didn't, I didn't really get it. that like, what was happening? Like I mm-hmm. did, but I didn't know what it would ultimately do. Like I knew it was exciting and I should be super jazzed about it. And I was, but I was mm-hmm. just like, Oh my God. And like, just stupid grateful. Like, I can't remember if I cried, but like, <laughs> there's like a really chance I cried. It's a safe assumption that there may have been tears at some point in the process. <laughs> exactly. Like, cause I couldn't, Again, like you're saying, like first time putting it out there could have gone the total opposite way where I just got trolled, right? Yeah, for sure. But where it could have fallen flat. And that's what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you plan for the worst, right? So mm-hmm. like I expected it to flatline. Maybe we do it and I would have to push, push, push for a whole month. And like that never happened. And then mm-hmm. I had all these people like reaching out and talking to me. And and the funny thing is, is Poster Posse, who was not Poster Posse at the time, the people who I do all my Disney work with. Yeah. That's how they found me. Don Thompson was running Blurpy at the time. Wow. And he was just started, and I was just getting started, and that's how he found me. And we've been like working together ever since. And so, like, it was a crazy time, like okay, crazy, so, crazy time. So, two questions come out of this now. Then, so then you you hit your goal, you soar past your goal, you get mm-hmm. these prints done. I'm assuming you get these prints shipped to your house. Yes. And then you're looking at these boxes and going, "Okay, I guess I have to fulfill this somehow." Well. At the time, again, like Mondo was still like on the rise. This is two years after, um, I think it was two years after I had graduated, maybe three. And so by that point, by that point, Mondo had like become Mondo and was on its way. Mm -hmm. And so like Kevin Tong made this YouTube video about how he fulfills prints. And so I just watched that and I bought some of those things. And then I did it. <laughs> <laughs> bought some tubes. You bought yeah. some other stuff. <laughs> yep. Perfect. That's yeah. so cool. The other one, um, you know, the talking point that came out of that is you made back then an incredible connection that one, you didn't expect to make. Mm-mm. And two, has helped or has come along with you as your career has grown. Yes. And as the, sir, what was the gentleman's name? Ken? Don Thompson. Don Thompson. And his wife, Rebecca Thompson, mm-hmm. would eventually form Poster Posse, who I've done you know, The Mandalorian with and The Rise of Skywalker and Captain Marvel and Avengers, like, Endgame and, and all this stuff. So like, And that's the kind of stuff that you just never know the people you'll meet, the connections you'll get, the yes. intros you'll get just by putting it out there, just having mm-hmm. the, you know, pushing past the fear and unknown of what's going to happen if I put this out there. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because it, again, you don't realize it until it's already happened. Like when I was trying to figure out the printmaking game, I actually sent an email over to Nakatomi, who's run by Tim Doyle, mm-hmm. um, just kind of like, like pricing them out, seeing if they were who I wanted to print through. And I had questions. And so I sent this email out. And by that point I was, I had known of Tim Doyle's work. He showed the spoke art who's somebody I would like adored as a gallery. And I loved his unreal estate show. And so I wrote Nakatomi knowing it was Tim's company but like was totally flabbergasted when Tim was the one who wrote back. Cause like, <laughs> I didn't know it's just like Tim and two guys. Yeah. Like again, as somebody starting out, I had no idea. I'm like, wait, is this like, I literally wrote in my email. Wait, is this the Tim Doyle? Like the unreal estate 
Tim Doyle? And he's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so like, I, I chatted with him and he learned I was getting started and he was a huge, massive support for me getting yeah. started. And I like just sent him an email to ask him questions. He just happened, like, I still work with him today. He's one of easily like my longest and like most staunch, like fellow artist supporter. That's incredible. And like, Again, that was right around the exact same time. It was in that first year, barely, like mm-hmm. right around the Kickstarter time that that happened. So, geez, that's yeah. so good, Tracy. So, the Quickie Podcast is a bit of a roller coaster because we're riding the high right now. <laughs> and the next couple of questions I have for you take you through some of the challenging times in your career, yeah. um, some of the lessons that you've learned, things like that. And I want to pull those stories out and then we'll go back and we'll end in a happy spot again. Okay. So what has been the most challenging time in your creative career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Yeah. So it's really funny because everyone thinks the hardest part is when you get started. And like, depending on at what point in your life. You know, I like a good cliffhanger. Going to call it right there. Thank you everybody for listening to part one of this episode with Tracy Ching. I really appreciate your time. Part two gets rocking tomorrow morning. Do not miss it. It's where we get into the nitty gritty stuff, the struggles, um, the the struggles and troubles. It's a rhyme almost. The struggles and troubles in lessons learned and some of the stuff that she is the most proud of, most proud to have been involved with and why and some awesome powerful stories around that. So that's enough of that. So part two is up tomorrow. Thanks for your time. See you later.